you know, content is king, but context is God. I mean, there can be a great story to tell uh, at the bar. Doesn't mean it's the same great story to tell at the bingo hall. So knowing your audience, being able to connect with that, and it can be the same story, just just change it, you know, and, and make it more contextual for the audience there. From cave drawings to family histories to stories around the fire, humans crave order among chaos, connection amid isolation. So we tell stories. Our mission at the Storytellers Network is to bring the art of story to the masses. Whether you're in marketing, you're an entrepreneur, or you're developing your own personal brand, telling your story effectively can make the difference between celebrating milestones and collecting unemployment. The Storytellers Network strives to help storytellers tell their stories so you can learn from the best. Now, your host, the inbound evangelist himself, Dan Moyle. Welcome to the Storytellers Network Podcast. I'm so glad you're joining me today. In this episode, we're going to hear from a podcasting expert because of how many shows he's actually guested on. He doesn't have his own podcast. He goes on other shows. So in this uh, season of podcasters, this guy is it. He's the founder and CEO of Podcast Interview Marketing Pioneer Interview Valet, uh, a company that I work with. And Tom Schwab drinks his own Kool-Aid. He estimates his podcast interview count at well over 1,200. That's just crazy. <laughs> and full disclosure, of course, uh, I work with Tom and we've been friends for quite a few years. And today, Tom shares that with the Storytellers Network, his personal and professional storytelling craft, his successes and his stumbles, in other words, his story. Now, before we do get into that conversation, just a quick reminder to find us online at storytellersnetwork.com for more information about other shows, past episodes, resources to help you tell your story better. And if you like what we're doing here, please consider leaving us a review. We appreciate that very much. Now, let's get to Tom's story. So I, uh, I did an intro already. We'll, we'll pretend that. All right. Because we're recording this after that or before that. Well, anyway. Uh, I'll drink to that. I'll drink to that. So yeah, to podcasting. To podcasting. Absolutely. So season two of... The Storytellers Network is underway and I'm interviewing podcasters. Now, when I asked you, Tom, to be on the show, uh, it wasn't because you have a podcast. It's because you go on podcasts. You tell stories there, I would guess, right? Very much so. Do you consider yourself a storyteller? Yes. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's what podcasting is all about. You know, mm-hmm. uh, nobody likes an infomercial. Everybody likes a story. That's what's memorable. And uh, uh, we've all got a story to tell. You know, it's ordinary to you. It's amazing to others. Mm, absolutely. And which is the the title of your fictitious or fictional fictional podcast <laughs> podcast, uh, which I think would be a great show. So maybe we'll maybe we'll get that going. Um, so have you have you always been a story? Now we've we've been friends for a long time, and I love listening to your stories and telling you stories, and, and we share this uh, quite often over a a whiskey or a, a beer or whatever. But have you always been a storyteller? Do you think? To me, it was just normal, right? My grandpa was Irish, mm-hmm. J- uh, Jimmy Cunningham. So there was always a story involved in some place. And uh, to me, there was no other way to do it. And, you know, in some ways, you know, my background's engineering, right? So uh, engineers aren't always the best storytellers, but maybe that's the same reason that I wasn't the best engineer. <laughs> I like that. Uh, so how do you go from engineering into, into I mean, I, I consider you a, a marketer. Mm-hmm. I know you've said before, I'm really bad at that, but no, I think you're really good at it. And how do you go from engineering into marketing? Well, I, I think it was like, what's, you know, what's ordinary to you is what you're supposed to do. So, mm-hmm. uh, I went to the Naval Academy 
And there was two types of degrees, engineering degrees and BS degrees. So 80% of the academy was engineers. And that's really what they wanted. Mm. Uh, so with that, I just thought, well, mechanical engineering, that sounds interesting. Mm. Uh, so I went through there, then uh, ran nuclear power plants on the Navy. And I loved the, um, the process of it, the, uh, the team uh, actually doing stuff, but actually the sitting down engineering, um, the design work, oh, that, would, that just sucked the life right out of me. <laughs> um, and so uh, while I was good at it, Boy, it, did, it just, it, it didn't fulfill me. Mm. Uh, so with that, I realized uh, this is not what I really want to do. So, you know, when I got out of the Navy, uh, started to, to work in engineering, then in operations, and my heart was in, I wanted to go out and sell, mm. you know, and uh, they said, no, engineers can't sell. Uh, so I, I proved them wrong. <laughs> so you went into sales before marketing. I mean, not now you're, you're a business owner, an entrepreneur. So you do marketing as part of what you do. Um, but, but you went into sales, not marketing. Correct. I wish my dad was here to tell his version of the story. So when uh, I got out of the Navy and uh, left a career where he said, all you got to do is put another 15 years in. Um, uh, when I left there, he called me a fool. When I left operations and went into sales as a straight commission, then he called me a damn fool. Now he did, he did live long enough to uh, say that that was a great decision on my part, but uh, uh, made for a great story. That's awesome. <laughs> So what is it that you love about storytelling? You mentioned your grandpa, you mentioned just a story from your dad right there. So whether it's personal like that or whether it's for business, I mean, maybe they're different, but what do you love about stories? To me, it's the only thing that's memorable, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you go through a, a, a conference, you go through uh, anything and you don't remember all the facts. You don't remember the bullet points in there, but you remember the stories mm -hmm. that go along with that. And to me, the stories, um, tell the information that you want people to, to remember. And to me, this is almost that nostalgia thing too. So my dad's been gone now 17 years. Uh, but every time I, I tell a story about him, I remember him. Or every time I tell a story about my grandpa who's been gone, Oh, uh, 30 years, probably. Uh, I still remember him. And to me, that's a, just a great way for, for things to live on in eternity. Um, I think if you look back, uh, this whole idea of, um, we've been storytellers as people for thousands and tens of thousands of years. Mm -hmm. uh, the idea of that, uh, you know, PowerPoint presentations and bullet points and everything like that, that's relatively new in the world. Uh, at our heart, we're tell, we, we listen to stories and we tell stories. So what's one of your favorite stories from your grandpa? Oh, <laughs> I think, I think I know of one at least, but I, I may only know one. So if that's the one, great. But if not, I want to hear something different. I, I don't know. It's like uh, <laughs> the favorite story or favorite joke. I always remember his favorite <laughs> joke. And uh, uh, he was 100% Irish, Jim Cunningham. And, uh, you know, great story growing up as he always told us he was a leprechaun uh, as he was growing up. And we didn't know any different. And every time um, um, St. Patrick's Day would come around, uh, he would say, oh, I'm going to show you my... Uh, my leprechaun outfit. And we would always get so excited. It was like seeing Santa Claus. Um, and then it was always uh, somebody else had it. It was down at the cleaners or something like that. Uh, but we looked forward to that. Um, and, uh, you know, so from that standpoint, uh, he always had a story. He'd tell us about the potato famine. He had no idea about the potato famine. He wasn't there. But, it, you know, don't let the facts get in the way of good story. And he'd tell us that, uh, oh, the potato famine was, was awful. 
You couldn't get French fries. You couldn't get mashed potatoes. There was just no potatoes anywhere. <laughs> and what about the best piece of advice he ever gave you? Oh, I would have to say the best piece of advice he gave me was also the worst business advice uh, he ever gave me. Uh, and it's the only wrong thing that old Irishman ever told me. Um, I was 17 years old, getting ready to go to the Naval Academy, sitting down with my grandpa, having a beer. Uh, he probably thought it was my first beer. and <laughs> I wasn't going to change his mind on that one. But uh, he was a great businessman. He, he ran a, an auto shop, uh, you know, mechanics, had a few people working underneath him. But uh, he told me, choose carefully who you drink with because you can't choose who you work with. Now, Dan, for him, that was truth. You know, in, in his reality there, if you had a car and you were within 10 miles of St. Charles, Illinois, you were his customer. Yeah. And I look back on that now and it's like, wow, how the world has changed. You know, we get to choose who we work with. Uh, and it's like, if I don't want to drink with somebody, if I don't want them around my business or my family, I don't want them around my business. <laughs> Uh, so we are very blessed in our lives to have that. So um, I wish he was alive here today to to see how the world had changed. I know, kidding. Which is a great point too. Uh, <clears throat> each of my interviews, I, I typically start with where are you in the world. So obviously we're next to each other. I know where we are. But but the idea is you don't have to work with only the people that are near you because we're in Southwest Michigan. Yeah, we we work right now. Obviously, I work with you, and, and you know, listeners know that we, I work at Interview Valet. But we, I mean, we have clients all over the place. What's some of our longest area clients or furthest away? Oh, uh, Dubai, you know, mm -hmm. United Arab Emirates is a normal day for me here in the suburb of Kalamazoo. <laughs> um, yeah, it um, you know, talking to somebody in uh, United Arab Emirates, then talking to somebody uh, in Singapore, Australia, or anywhere around the world. Yeah. And to me, uh, the stupidest question I get asked now is where do you work at? <laughs> And it's like, work is what you do, not what you, where you go. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, love, um, I love where I live. There's great people here, uh, but they don't understand um, how interconnected the world is with the, the Internet. Yeah. Uh, a lot of, um, uh, of people that still go to the factories and stuff. And sometimes I try to explain to them what I do. And uh, when they just sort of glaze over, I'll just <laughs> say, well, did you ever see the movie Breaking Bad, that series? And that pretty much stops the conversation right there. <laughs> I do that. No, I don't do that. Well, sort of that. No, never mind. <laughs> I, I don't say I do it or not. I just refer to the movie. Yeah, there you go. So how do you, so how do you use storytelling in business? And, and have you always, you know, when, when you ran uh, your sales team, when, when you were at Stryker, and then when you were your own company working with Stryker, when you had Goodbye Crutches, now with Interview Valet, how often, I guess let me start there, how often do you use story? in your business life? Um, when I first started out, I didn't. Mm. Um, I wanted to dazzle them with brilliance. Um, and I ended up baffling them with BS. <laughs> uh, you know, it, when I first started out, you know, I'm, I'm an engineer. I understand this stuff. Let me teach it to you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, selling to orthopedic surgeons. And a lot of times they would just sort of glaze over because I was saying all the right facts, but they wouldn't remember facts. Yeah. And what was important to them? I had to figure out the story that they resonated with um, that, uh, that hit their high, high points there. Mm. Uh, and to me, I, um, it, it took me a few years uh, to figure that out. But when I did, my life improved, my performance improved, my sales improved, mm. and the relationships too. Because uh, you, you tell somebody all the facts, it doesn't build a relationship. 
um, it doesn't really do the sales either. <laughs> you know, uh, facts, uh, facts tell, stories sell. Mm. Um, so the more, uh, the more I started to be able to tell people's story, what was important to them, make them the hero of the story on why this was important to them. Um, that's when things really started to change. And it's more fun. I'm like, I, I went back and I'm like, oh yeah, this is what my grandpa used to do all the time. <laughs> he's just sitting around telling stories around the engine. No, he's actually making sales. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> exactly. And everybody, uh, everybody wanted to come and talk with them. Uh, you know, um, I always say that uh, when people talk about legacy, you know, legacy is not what's, um, what's uh, chiseled on your tombstone. It's the, um, it's the stories that are told around your coffin. And uh, one of my, you know, can you say favorite funerals? Yeah, one of my favorite funerals was my grandpa's uh, because all his buddies were around there telling stories of things that he had done um, that that he had never shared. Yeah. You know, the, the customer that came in and was a jerk and uh, <laughs> said that he wanted his car painted and it better be painted, the whole thing better be painted by the time he came back at 5 p.m. And uh, he came back at 5 p.m. and my grandpa had painted the entire car. I never said that he wanted taped out or anything like that. And my grandpa did a good job, I guess, from what his buddies were saying. He got the windows. He got the wheel wells. Um, he got everything. The guy came back, and his car was painted. <laughs> that could be a favorite funeral. I, I love that of, of you, your legacy is the stories told around your coffin. That's awesome. Because yeah, I've been to funerals lately in the last year, quite a few, it feels like. And it is, man, it's those stories. You know, whether it's those personal ones whether it's connecting with a potential client, like that is what draws us in, isn't it? It's so cool. What, what do you think was one of the biggest challenges with storytelling? I think it's putting your, yourself in the person's place that's listening. Mm. You know, why is it important to me? Um, you know, content is king, but context is God. I mean, there can be a great story to tell uh, at the bar. doesn't mean it's the same great story to tell at the bingo hall. So knowing your audience, being able to connect with that, and it can be the same story, just just change it, you know, and, and make it more contextual for the audience there. Um, it's not that, uh, uh, Dan, I got a story that I want to tell to you. Um, it's really, how can this story help you? Uh, and really, you know, knowing the audience you're talking to. And that's one of the things I love about podcasting. Is it is so targeted um, that you know exactly uh, who you're talking with, um, you know, it's, it's more of a focused audience. You don't yeah. have to be, you know, generic, uh, dear ma'am or sir. Yeah. So as you, you mentioned podcasts, so you go on podcasts, you, but have you, have you kept count how many shows you've been on? <laughs> over, over a thousand. Um, and the thing is, there's probably, uh, a quarter of those that no longer exist. <laughs> uh, you know, what was it? Um, uh, they'd say uh, Sinatra used to sing at the opening of an envelope. Um, I would I would go on any podcast uh, at the beginning, but that's how I learned. Well, you know, it's building up the stages, right? I mean, you start at the opening of an envelope, you right. end up in Madison Square Garden, you don't get there overnight. True. Uh, so when you tell stories on all those shows, you know, hundreds and hundreds or thousands, whatever you want to say, but you're on all these stages, where do those stories come from? I mean, are, are you a reader? Are you a listener? Are you just a networker? How do you bring in all the stories and, and then remember them too? Um, well, first of all, I'm an audible learner, mm. right? And I've always known that. There are other people that could go to class and uh, uh, sleep during class and then they'd read the book. Mm. I just had to listen. Uh, I wouldn't read the book. I just listened to what was said and figured that was the important part. So knowing how I learn, um, but then the, uh, 
from the standpoint of, I think with practice, your stories get better. It's not a new story every time, you know, and sometimes my, uh, my wife, uh, Praise that she'll get Alzheimer's someday so that every time she hears the story, it'll be different. Yeah. Uh, but I think as you tell the story more and see what resonates with people, what doesn't, um, just uh, that point, working through it, uh, seeing what resonates best, what people like, the stories that they ask for, um, the responses from it. Um, and in some ways that can be tough in a podcast, yeah. right? Because if you're on a live stage, um, you know, if something goes over or bombs, uh, you know, but uh, when you're just doing it one-on-one -on -one with somebody, it can be tough. And uh, sometimes, especially if it's audio only, mm. uh, if there's video going, you can see some facial recognitions and stuff to see how it's going. But uh, audio, it can be, uh, you know, trying to like trying to do stand-up comedy uh, <laughs> without any feedback. Right. Just in front of the mirror and you're like, that was really funny. That was good. Maybe not. What do you, why do you think? podcasting is so powerful right now when it comes to communication and, and stories and business and all that. What, why the boom over the last few years? Once again, I think, you know, our grandparents would be better served to answer that question than our grandchildren because they understand the strategy, not the tactics. Mm. And people will say, you know, uh, is it the quality? Is it this? Is it that? I think it comes down to stories. Mm. You know, think about it. Uh, radio. People would go around the radio and listen to that, and they had to use their imagination. Mm. You know, uh, Orson Welles, War of the, War of the Worlds. <laughs> um, that was scary, right? Because there's nothing as scary as your imagination because mm -hmm. you have to put that together. And I think when you can just sit there and see everything, um, it doesn't engage your imagination nearly as much. Yeah. Um, so I think that's one of the reasons. The other thing, too, is just that people learn differently, mm. right? So there's some people that are that like stories on the video, right? So even if it's, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk, he's got his podcast and then he's got his video. Some people just want him to see him saying the words. Mm -hmm. That's how they resonate. Um, other people would want to read his book, you know, and see the transcript of it. And then other people just want to hear it. So I think part of it is producing it in the way that's most easy, easiest to you mm -hmm. and then repurposing it in the way that's most meaningful and easiest for the consumer. You know, I, I remember somebody saying, when do you think podcasts are going to go to hundred percent? You know, right now about 30 to 40% of the U S population listens to podcasts. When do you think that'll go to hundred percent? And I'm like, uh, television and radio never hit hundred percent. Right. Podcasting won't either. Uh, you know, <laughs> and right now 10% of the U S population is hearing impaired. I don't think they're big podcast listeners, right? <laughs> but that doesn't mean you can't get the transcript of a podcast yeah. and put it up on the website for them to enjoy also. So you mentioned Gary Vee and he has a ton of content. So if I'm a small business owner, I'm some kind of a marketer and I want to get a message out, I have a story to tell. Do I, let me ask you first, do I need to be everywhere to do that? Do you think? I think you need to be where your customers are. Okay. You know, and I, I can still remember uh, Emily, our, our youngest, uh, she's in uh, a freshman in college now. When she was in junior high, she came to me and she said, Dad, you need to be on Instagram. And Instagram was really new at that point. I'm like, well, why is that? And she says, because me, or no, she first said, because everybody's on Instagram. And I said, define everybody. <laughs> she's like, me and all my friends. Well, my customers were not, you know, um, junior high girls. It would have been creepy for me to be on there at that point. Yeah. So I think you need to be where your customers are 
but you don't need to be everywhere. Um, you know, I, I'd rather be one place and, and do it well than be 10 places and do it poorly. So from that standpoint, uh, you know, you can repurpose content, mm-hmm. um, do it that way, but, uh, figure out where your customers are first. Um, you know, for us, um, a lot of our customers are on LinkedIn. So we've got a good LinkedIn presence, but then at one of our clients, um, she got our kickoff package and she was just thrilled on it. And she started putting pictures on Instagram and said, I, I went to tag you, but you guys aren't on Instagram. So thank you, Dan. Uh, you, you solved that within, uh, within hours so she could tag us. But you know, that's, that's the thing is if your customers say, are you there? The answer should be yes. And, and if you're, if, if there's somebody out there listening right now that wants to be the next Gary V and they have a story and they're like, okay, so I, I want to figure out what my customers are. I don't want, I don't have to be everywhere, but eventually maybe I will be. How do you start figuring out? How did you start figuring out who your customer was in any of your businesses? Okay. First of all, I'm going to push back on that. Yeah. The next Gary V. Well, don't, don't, you know, I don't want to be the next Tom Schwab or the next Dan Moyle. There's been, that's a one and done. Everything mm-hmm. is a one and done. You know, if you start copying somebody, um, you'll never be as good at them. And, you know, our mutual friend, uh, Christopher Lockett with mm-hmm. Legends and Losers, Gary V is the category king of being Gary Vaynerchuk, <laughs> you know. Um, so yeah. he's the legend. Anybody who tries copying him will be the loser. So from that standpoint, I think the first thing is be yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and right. And, um, Jeffrey, uh, Jeffrey Shaw, a mutual friend of ours that wrote uh, Lingo, mm-hmm. talks about that and says, Start with your who you are, who you want to attract, who you want to work with before you figure out your ideal buyer persona. Mm. And then after that, I think it's a lot of asking questions, mm. you know, um, not what you like, but what they want. Um, and I always say, um, we've all got opinions. You know, you've got an opinion. I've got an opinion. The only experts are the ones that vote with their time and vote with their dollars. Mm. So your customers will tell you what they love and what they loathe. You just got to be smart enough to double down on what they love and stop <laughs> doing what pisses them off. And truly stop too, right? Like oh, you truly got, stop. Like you got to quit. Yeah. And, and listen, and you know, asking questions yeah. too of, uh, you know, what do you think of this? Uh, the response and most of, most of them will be very open to telling you, especially if you ask. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes they're even telling you in open rates, click through rates, uh, you know, things that get the most engagement on there. Uh, all of those things they're giving you feedback on. You just got to be, you know, as we said in the Navy, smart enough to know right answer when told. <laughs> yeah, that technology is amazing. You know, they can vote with their their clicks and opens and shares and everything, everything together. And it, I kind of feel like every one, every each one thing is kind of a vanity metric, right? You, if you only look at views, that's just a vanity metric. Great, big deal. I got views. Who cares? What action did they take next? Did they did they click? Okay, they clicked. That's a great, but who cares? until they actually buy. So each one adds up with the other, right? So technology is amazing. I mean, I love that we have that stuff out there, which kind of leads me to this though. How do you think that technology and or media in general affects this ancient craft of storytelling? Is it a positive effect most of the time? Is it negative? Does it change everything immensely? I think it gives us more feedback, hmm. right? And once again, going back to that content is king, but context is God. So you can get better context mm. and you can start learning more about the person. And, um, you know, if we're sitting down and we've known each other for years, I, I know your psychographics. Um, I know your demographics, right? Um, the demographics being, you know, where you live, how old you are, all the rest of that. But that psychographics of, you know, uh, 
what your aspirations are, what your, mm-hmm. what your fears are, what, you know, what, what people you look up to. Um, and I think now we can start to get that more from uh, the analytics that come back, right? So if, if they listen to Entrepreneur on Fire with John Lee Dumas, that's who they aspire to be. Right. So that's a different audience than, say, um, somebody like Stephen Wassner um, on Onward Nation. So different people. And you can start to figure out what are their psychographics, what are their demographics, and you can give better stories to them, um, more contextual. Because uh, really, that's, at the end of the day, you don't want to waste people's time. Uh, you know, telling them things that, does, that don't help them. Yeah. Um, and that, that's not serving them. Yeah, absolutely. And so, so that's media and technology and we can, we can be better at storytelling and, and serve them better and be more, I don't want to say efficient, but it kind of comes down to that sort of, um, but we can be more, more relevant, I suppose. Right. What about social media? Do you think that social media has negatively affected storytelling or is it something that has helped us to forward it or where does that sit in that spectrum? <laughs> A little bit of both. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, 140 characters to me always seemed like marketers marketing to marketers <laughs> and 14 year old girls telling how much their life sucked from their new iPhone. So, um, you know, at that point it was like, are you telling a story or are you just adding to the noise? I love, I love that. That's good. <laughs> so in some ways I think noise is not a story. Mm-hmm. Um, if everybody's yelling at the same time at a rock concert, um, nobody's getting hurt. Nobody's breaking through the noise. They're just adding to it. Yeah. So I, what I like about social media is the reach and the evergreenness um, of it, right? So the reach is that you can reach more people. Uh, there's not the barriers of that. And then the evergreen um, aspect of it too. Uh, you know, um, I wish that those stories that my grandfather told were captured. Mm-hmm. Um, and now to think that the things that we're talking about now are captured. And so, so somebody can listen to them, you know, when this posts, somebody can listen to it a week later, a year later. Um, you know, someday uh, our grandkids are going to be listening to this podcast interview oh. um, and laughing at us for the oh. predictions we make. But, you know, <laughs> hey, we're old. They still have flying cars. I don't know what's going on here. That's right. That's, that's what. So um, from that standpoint, I think, um, it, it's a tool, right? Yeah. Uh, there's good to it. There's bad to it. Um, and like all tools, it amplifies your ignorance or your creativity. So if you're a bad storyteller, uh, you can tell more bad stories more often to more people. Yeah. Um, and that's called spam. <clears throat> you know? yeah, exactly. Um, or if you're a good storyteller, uh, you can, you can leverage it that way too. And if, and if you are telling stories or you have a business, um, you have a book, maybe whatever it is, how, how can you get that story out today without trying to just shout above the noise at a rock concert? If, especially if you're just starting out, like if you have a long-term Twitter account, you have followers, you have reach, that's great. But if you're just starting out today with basically nothing, how do you even get that story out there into the world? I think it's telling us the right people, mm. right? Um, just because we've got access to, to do 2 billion people, doesn't mean that 2 billion people want to hear you, right? And um, you got to be okay with that, that that it's okay that everybody doesn't want to read your book or hear your story. Um, You know, like going back to what my grandpa said, you know, choose carefully who you drink with because you can't choose who you work with. Well, you know, choose carefully who you reach out to, 
Mm -hmm. um, you don't want to spam them. You want to serve them. If they resonate with your story, uh, that's great. If they don't, you don't want to have to change them, nor do you want to change who you are or what your story is there. Um, but I would say uh, the big thing is 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 a conversation, mm. right? Um, to ask questions, to get feedback, uh, so it's not a monologue. Mm. Um, so that it's actual discussion, uh, because when people start to engage with the story um, and feel part of it, then they they remember it and and um, and share it a whole lot more too. Yeah. Now you've used podcasts to get your story out quite a bit, obviously. And that's what we do at Interview Valet, obviously. So we we like that. Do you think that works for everybody? Does being a podcast guest basically work for all of it? No, it doesn't work for oh. you. Right? <laughs> and mimes. Mimes have a very hard time on podcasts. But that last guest that we had was a mime and oh that didn't work. Okay, all right. I guess I see that. He was good. <laughs> he was a good mime. Um I don't know. Um no, I don't think every medium works for everybody, right? Um, certain people are better on different mediums, right? So some people are really good on video. Some people are good on audio. Um, I think it's more accessible to people um, with podcasting, right? Because we talked to a lot of our clients and said, hey, would you, would you drive across town to talk to 10 ideal customers? Would you drive across state to talk to 100 customers? Would you get in a plane? to talk to a thousand customers, you know, and then we say, well, you don't have to, you can stay at home, stay at your office and, and talk to them on a podcast interview. You can always tell somebody's face when they're scared of public speaking or an introvert, <laughs> you say 10 people and you can see tenseness. Mm -hmm. You say a hundred and they get sweaty and a thousand and they start to, uh, uh, to do the baby burp in the back of their mouth there. <laughs> but I think, so from that standpoint, um, you can do a podcast. Uh, it's much more accessible. You know, uh, we're just sitting out here talking, right? Mm -hmm. We were going to talk the same way, whether or not it was being recorded or not. And most <laughs> of the podcast interviews are, you know, done over Skype or phone or zoom, something like that. So it's, you know, I, I always say the best podcast interviews are sitting down and it's, it's like two people talking at Denny's mm -hmm. and it would be rude for you to turn around and get into the conversation <laughs> and rude to turn around and watch them. But you just sit there and just sort of eavesdrop and listen to them. And some of the, you know, some of the uh, interviews are held at Denny's at uh, at 8 a.m. or noon, and some podcast interviews are held at Denny's, uh, you know, 30 minutes after the bars close. Just <laughs> different conversations. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, so I love the whole idea of podcasts, and and you know, being with Interview Valley now for a year at this point. Um, I've been able to be on some podcasts, get to know some podcasters. I, this medium is absolutely amazing. And I can't, I can't believe I'm, I'm a part of it. Um, I have some that I listen to pretty regularly. I don't know if I have a favorite necessarily, um, but I have different favorites for different things. Do you listen to podcasts pretty regularly? Do you have some, I mean, and again, I don't mean to put you on the spot because I know you listen to a ton of them for our clients, for your friends, for all these different things. But do you have some that you go to pretty regularly? I do. Um, but I would also say that I don't want to always keep going to the same ones every time. Yeah. Um, I think one of the great things about this medium and about, you know, technology as a whole is that you get to choose what you listen to. Mm -hmm. I think the scary part too, is that you get to choose what you listen to. <laughs> right. So um, it's very easy for me to listen to podcasts that reinforce what I already think and what I already know and prove to myself, that I'm the smartest guy around. 
But the problem is, is that if you're not learning, um, you're probably the stupidest guy around. So from that standpoint, I will listen eclectically to different podcasts. And one of the things I love is that um, every podcast that our guests go on, I'll listen to the first one or two podcasts um, to give them feedback on it. And I have listened to podcasts that there is no way that I would have. Yeah. You know, Adoption Now. I wouldn't have listened to that podcast, but it was amazing. And I got to learn different things from there. And so from that standpoint, um, I, I love the idea of cross-pollination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that the only way you get that you get fruit in nature is through cross-pollination. And I really believe it's the same way for us. You know, the only way you're going to bear fruit in your life is to be exposed to new ideas, new people. Um, and uh, that doesn't come by accident. So for me, um, I will, I'll see a new podcast pop up and I'll listen to it for the first five minutes. If I like it, I might listen to three or four of those. I'll, I'll recommend it to somebody else. Um, I might cherry pick different guests. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times people will say that they want to get the big guests on, you know, so that um, uh, they can get the audience with it. You know, I think Gary Vee is great. Dave Ramsey is great. Uh, Seth Godin is great. But I've never listened them to them on a podcast and learn something new right? because they usually stick to that. their same talking points or their, what they've written in the book where I learned something new is when I, when I hear a new guest that I've never heard of before, a new story mm-hmm. and a new viewpoint on something. Uh, so uh, that's a long answer to say that uh, I am too ADD <laughs> to keep listening to the same podcast. Absolutely. I, I love the idea of learning from others too. You know, when I, <clears throat> when I launched storytellers network, I wanted to get a few what I consider big names, important people in, in my marketing world. And they very graciously said yes. But then I also want to talk to people who are at different points in the storytelling journey because whoever's listening may be at different points. You know, you want to hear that storytelling idea from somebody who's been at it for a long time, somebody who's just starting off. And, and, and it's, been, it's been incredible for me. So that's just kind of an, uh, a personal story about that. But, but I love that idea of learning from different people, you know, challenging yourself and finding them. How do you find new podcast to listen to and new stories. Do you, do you just listen to everything? Like what's your, what's your discovery method? Um, I think that's the Achilles heel right now in mm-hmm. podcasting still of, of finding new podcasts. And I know there's some different ones that are out there. Uh, I was really excited when I heard Pandora is going to start doing podcast stations mm-hmm. because you think about it, uh, uh, you get exposed to a lot of new music. Mm-hmm. So if I put, um, you know, that, uh, uh, that I want uh, music like the Eagles um, and get the Eagles station. Well, there's a couple of Eagles songs and then there's other ones on there and you get exposed to new art- artists that you never would before. Yeah. So Pandora is starting to do that. Um, but I would still say the biggest way I get exposed to new podcasts right now is just talking to friends mm. and they'll say, did you listen to this podcast? I just heard this. And so I think it's still that organic search of people telling people. And that was one of the reasons uh, that I started to do um, uh, daily podcast discoveries. It's just sort of a 60 second shout out uh, that I do on, on social media every day to talk about a podcast that I found or I like or mm-hmm. who it would be good for. And, uh, and so from that standpoint, you know, that, that whole thing of what's ordinary to you is amazing to me. So yeah. there's a podcast that you're listening to uh, and you're like, I thought everybody knew about that. And you're <laughs> holding back on me because right. uh, that's the one I should be listening to also. So sharing is important. Share, sharing and learning. Are two, and in the last few minutes here, I've heard two things from you, I think. Always be learning and always be sharing because you never know what 
is going to be shared to you and you never know what you're going to learn. Is that kind of how you become a better storyteller? Do you think? I, mean, I never so. thought of it that way. Um, from that standpoint, uh, I don't know if it's always be sharing or always be stealing too. <laughs> right? Uh, Fair enough. <laughs> going back to the comedian things, right? Fair uh, enough. <laughs> uh, most of the most of the good stories I, I told or I tell um, come from my grandpa, my dad, or you know Brian Mitchell. All three of them are deceased, right? So if I look at it, they abandoned their story. I just picked it up. Um, so I think, yeah, learning new ideas, new ideas from there, uh, learning how people tell a story, and it's like, yeah, that's interesting. And now you don't plagiarize. You don't say, um, you know, uh, that's that's not good. But uh, uh, there's, I've never met an interesting hermit, mm. right? Uh, most interesting people are the ones that have the most interesting lives of. Of what they've done, who they've been around, who they've seen, um, you know, and so from that standpoint, exposing yourself to that, to learn, to share, um, and I think the older I get, the more I love learning. Mm. You know, I didn't want to go to school as a kid, right? You know, now I would just, I'd love to do that. You know, um, there's not enough time in the day to to listen to podcasts, to travel, yeah. um, to read books, and everything like that. And what I've learned so far over a couple dozen interviews, and, and then I go back and listen to the shows as like a, a listener, I tune my own voice out, but I listen to the guests, I'm like, that's amazing, is that so many storytellers that are, that are effective, whether it's uh, from the stage, from a blog, from a podcast, whatever it is, from a book, they share others' stories. So I think that's a really important thing to think about, on, especially as, to the listeners, is gather stories and share them. I mean, give credit, obviously. But, you know, David Meerman Scott's one of my favorite marketers out there, and he was guest number one on, on, the, on the series. Uh, so season one, episode one was David. And, and he, he doesn't, I've never heard him share a story about himself. He shares other people's successes, which is, first of all, positive, which I love. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and it just, it, it teaches you. So I, I love that. I, so I don't see it as stealing, <laughs> although they may be deceased. I don't think you're stealing. You're, you're carrying that legacy on. Um, but yeah, it's, you have to be a story sharer in a lot of ways too. Don't you think? Yeah. And, and I agree with you. And now that you say it, as soon as you said David Meerman Scott, all I could think of was the grateful dead. Yeah. Cause he tells so many stories about what they did and how it impacted marketing yeah. and he ties it together. And so from once again, making somebody else the hero of the story, um, and just for the record, at the Naval Academy, we were on the honor code. So you couldn't lie, cheat, or steal. But you could liberate things that didn't want to be there. So maybe I liberated stories from the grave. But um, I love that. So I, so I see you as a person. You know, I guess I said earlier, we, we've been friends for a long time. And in the intro, I talk about, you know, how we've known each other. But, but so, so I, I admire you. You've you're been a mentor to me. So I appreciate it, all that stuff. But I want to say this. I look at you as a guy who is, who's kind of made it in the world. When you started businesses, you're, I don't know if you consider yourself a serial entrepreneur, but you've, you've made it, you've done well for yourself. You've set up a life for yourself. So you've, you've made it. Doesn't mean that you're done working by any means. I know that. Do you see yourself as someone who's made it? Not at all. No. And I'm, um, I was, I felt awkward when you said mentor, (laughs) right? Because, um, you've mentored me as much as I've mentored you. Um, I've learned, I would say more from you than you've learned from me. Uh, and you know, over the years, you know, the, uh, the lunch walks we would take mm-hmm. and, um, sometimes even the questions that you would ask, um, I'd have to rethink the answer on that. 
And sometimes I would give you these sage words of wisdom. And I'm like, oh yeah, that reminds me. I got to go back and do that again. <laughs> you know, so yeah. um, from that standpoint, uh, you know, I think you're supposed to surround yourself with good people. Mm. And that means, you know, people in front of you, people that are peers and uh, then people that are behind you. And the funny part is, is those people always change. Mm. So in one part of um, your life, you somebody might be ahead of you. And in other ways, they might be behind. And it's uh, it keeps changing on that. Uh, but uh, I'm, honored, I'm honored to know you. We've got great stories there. Um, I mean, the story of uh, a first meeting, uh, you know, thanks, <laughs> thanks to the um, technology. Yeah. Here, here we are. We probably work three miles from each other, uh, live within 10 miles of each other. And uh, we met on a webinar. Uh, you had to fly to Boston to meet some guy from California. <laughs> thanks, Sam. Appreciate that. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah, and that, and see, and I think that just kind of highlights the idea of the interconnected world we have, and yet we become so siloed in our in our world too. And so, so the story is, we were both using HubSpot as as a marketing tool, right? And and we're both doing this marketing. Everything's great. And we have the same marketing consultant, Sam Malakarjanan. Sam's become a good friend of both of ours, which is which is awesome too. That 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 connectedness is great. But Sam would used to pit us against each other. Uh, and, and we didn't know it, but he was doing it saying, well, I know this guy that's doing this. I know this guy's doing that. You know, you had a quiz that I thought was amazing. Um, I was doing a ton of content that was relevant and good. And so you're thinking, I can't keep up. And so he's pitting us against each other, which is awesome. But then I, I fly to Boston to HubSpot headquarters just to have this like, like intimate gathering with leadership and other people. And it was great. And, and the whole thing opens up with a webinar. And well, here's Tom Schwab from Kalamazoo, Michigan. I thought, wait, what the heck? What? Why did I fly to Boston for this? I hit you up. I hit you up on LinkedIn, and we we met for coffee, and yeah, the rest is history. We've become uh, good friends and coworkers and, and peers, and my boss. So thank you. Um, uh, I, feel, <laughs> I feel really uncomfortable with that term. Sorry, I, I won't use four letter words anymore. I'm sorry. I'm not your boss. Uh, <laughs> we, we work together. Yeah. Um, and uh, you're the marketing genius behind well. Interview Valet, and uh, I, the best compliment I get is when people come up and say, oh, I love this. This was great. This was great. And I smile and go, yeah, I think I remember seeing that. Dan did all of that. But, you know, it's, it's like your, uh, your kids. And once again, this is not an age comment here. Um, but it's like when somebody says, you know, your kids did something well. Uh, I take more pride in that. Uh, than I had doing myself doing something well. Uh, so from, from that standpoint, uh, we work together. I'm, I'm not your <laughs> boss. I'll be careful with that term. I'm sorry. Don't mean to, don't mean to offend. Uh, no, but that's, that's what I love about that though, is that that whole technology thing, you know, we were together in the same town, but had to, had to be separated to, to connect. And we've connected then. And we have, you know, our clients, like you said earlier, are all on the world. Um, we have friends all over the place. I get to say that I know people, that, you know, maybe live in Colorado or California or whatever. And, and we were friends through technology, but it's still a friend really. I mean, don't you think if, if I'm, if I'm a storyteller and I have this network of people around me, I can still consider them friends, even if we haven't necessarily met, don't you think? Oh, very much so. And that, that never struck me more deeply uh, than we had a tragedy. It was probably what, 18 months ago here mm -hmm. in, in Kalamazoo, a, a very sick individual, um, went and I think shot eight or 10 people yeah. uh, overnight on a Saturday night. I wake up on Sunday morning, look at my phone and there's probably 10 or 12 text messages uh, from people that I had never met in real life, but I knew from podcasts, 
podcast hosts, uh, other people in the podcasting community. And I'm starting to scroll through these texts. And it's like, you know, prayers for you and your family. Um, hope everything is okay. Um, and there was one the gentleman from South Carolina that had gone through a mass shooting. Uh, their uh, city, what was it? I can't remember, Charleston, South Carolina. But uh, uh, I had been on his podcast probably two months before. And he just said, uh, you know, um, this will make your community stronger. You know, good triumphs, evil. And I'm reading all of these. And I'm like, what's going on with this? And it wasn't until afterwards um, I went downstairs and Karen was watching it. My bride was watching it on the news. And it just struck me. Here are people that I have never met in real life that realized I was from Kalamazoo, saw it on the news, and thought enough to reach out. Mm. Uh, th there were people there before friends and family and, and all the rest reached out. There were people that I just met through the internet, through podcasting. And that's when it really struck me. It's like the relationships mm. that you can build from there. Uh, the one thing I would say is it's always really weird because I listen to podcasts at one and a half X speed <laughs> of this while I run at half X speed. And so when you listen to somebody uh, at that speed and then meet them in real life, it's like your voice sounds different. And would you just get to the point? <laughs> I love that. I did the same thing. Now I've started listening to 1.5 and I'm hoping to keep bumping it up a little bit. Cause there you said earlier, there's so many great podcasts, so much great content and learning to be had. I want to do it faster and take it in more. And I just, I'm excited. I met a guy at, uh, at PodFest down in Orlando who uh, part of the, the pod nuts world uh, syndication and stuff. And he listens to podcasts at 3.1. I think he said, I just looked at him. I said, you're, you're insane. That's crazy. He goes, I, I know, but I've worked up, I've worked up to it. But that's how he takes in so much content. And he's able to then again, as a story share, share those stories. I just, I love that. That's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Um, so if you're not, so if you haven't made it yet, there's, there has to be kind of milestones that you've checked off, whether it's business bucket list items or things that have happened. I mean, do you kind of look back at sometimes and say, gosh, this is, this is, this is amazing. How did I get here? Oh, if you want to use, if you want to say that, you know, you know, I made it when I was born in this country, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, we're blessed, right? Hmm. I, I made it when I was born to a loving family. Uh, you know, I made it when I got into the Naval Academy on a clerical error, you know. <laughs> wait, wait, what? I haven't heard that, I haven't heard that story yet. A clerical story. error? Uh, yeah, uh, it was my God story, right? So I have no depth perception. So mm -hmm. when I look through binoculars, I see two circles. I've known this my whole life. Uh, and they knew it on my physical, but they didn't catch it. So it wasn't until my senior year at the Naval Academy, going through my pre-commissioning physical, Bethesda Naval Hospital, and they give me the little test, you know, is the ball inside the box or out of the box? And I'm like, I don't know. I can't fuse images. They had never had somebody fail that test before. So it goes from the corpsman asking the chief. The chief gives me the same test. And um, each one I told them, um, I don't know. I've got monoscopic vision. I can't fuse images. Before I know it, you know, within an hour, the chief of ophthalmology at Bethesda Naval Hospital gives me the test. And told him, oh, hasn't I, changed. I, I don't know. And he looks at me, and goes, You've got monoscopic vision. And I'm like, That's what I told everybody. And he's like, You can't be in the Navy with that. And at that point, I was thinking, Oh, geez, I'm going to get kicked out. And they're like, No, don't worry. Uh, they've invested enough money in you. The, the taxpayers need their money back, uh, but you'll never go on a ship. And I'm thinking, Yes, this is great. Uh, well, they needed uh, nukes at that point. So they gave me a waiver, and I got to go to nuclear power. 
So monoscope big vision, you don't have depth perception, and you're in charge of nuclear devices. Sure. All right, cool. I mean, as, as, a, as a civvy, like, that scares me, but obviously there are things in place that you are safe, but that's hilarious. Driving. You didn't want me driving ships and stuff. Okay. I, I, <laughs> I won't tell anybody, don't worry. That's awesome. That's hilarious. So, so anyway, you were saying you're blessed. Yeah. Like you, you've made it in that sense, right? Yeah. And I guess the big thing is, um, I, I referenced Brian Mitchell, a mm. friend of mine. I wish you would have gotten a chance to, to know him. Uh, he passed away a number of years ago, but, uh, uh we were friends ever since high school. Uh, neither one of us had brothers. So we were the closest things that we had to brothers. And, um, in the years that I was working in corporate America and he was driving all over, um, we decided that if we ever retired, our wives would kill us, right? So our idea of- I was thinking, if we ever retire, we're going to retire near each other. No, our wives will kill us. Oh, yeah. Okay, uh, even better. Uh, yeah, if, if we were around the house that much, our wives would kill us. So we decided that instead of retirement, we were going to do fun things with interesting people and write it all off as a business expense. Genius. It made sense to us. You know, what else can you drink scotch and call it a business expense? <laughs> right now. <laughs> Amen. So with that, uh, when I turned 50, I thought about that. And I'm like, huh, I am only going to do fun things with interesting people. And I'll write it off as a business expense. <laughs> right. And so from that standpoint, um, people say, you know, um, when are you going to retire? I'm like, retire from what? You know, on podcasts, a lot of times people say, well, how many hours a week do you work? And I'm like, well, it depends. You know, if you ask me or ask my wife, you know, if you ask Karen, she'll probably say uh, 60, 70 hours a week. If you ask me, I'd say oh, about 10. You know, there's 10 hours of stuff that I wouldn't do unless you paid me. Mm -hmm. The other stuff is fun. Amen to that. And thank you for bringing me into that world because you're absolutely right. When people ask me, you know, so, so what do you do? I'm like, well, I, I enjoy life. Well, where do you work? Well, I, I work from home. But what do you do? I connect people. I talk. I, I do marketing. I, I love what, like, what do you mean? What do I do? It's so funny. I'm not a good enough storyteller to explain what I do to my mom. <laughs> I've tried numerous times. I even wrote a book and I gave her a copy of the book. And then she was upset because I didn't sign the copy. So I, I signed it and made it personal and everything. She came back and she said, honey, I read the book. I'm so proud of you. I don't understand what you do, but I'm proud of you. That's so awesome. I basically just said, mom, I, I introduce people to other people. You know, our, our mission at Interview Valet is to introduce inspiring thought leaders, uh, to personally introduce inspiring thought leaders to millions of people. Um, for the betterment of all. Uh, and from that standpoint, uh, that's what I get to do. And um, it's a fun job. Oh man, it's awesome. It is absolutely. <laughs> I can't explain what I do to my mom. That sounds about right. Sorry, mom, if you're listening, but that's, I think that's right. You couldn't, they couldn't regurgitate what we do. So that's funny. So what do you think is your, your favorite story? Whether, and, and, and I mean, business stories are great. Do you have a favorite story though, that, that you go to that gives you, I don't know if it's comfort, entertainment. Like, do you have a favorite story? Maybe it is business, but just in general. As you said that, one of the favorite stories I could think of is a uh, um, uh, a priest one time uh, told me. He said uh, he was telling this story and saying, "I can't get this done. Can't get this done." And he finally looked at somebody and said, "Why did you think you could get all this done?" And he pointed out that 
in the Bible, it says you can do all things through Christ. He never said you could do everything through Christ. <laughs> and so at that point, it's like, well, yeah, at that, at that point. And so that, that, um, that story always sort of gives me solace um, uh, from that. And uh, uh, sometimes I'll take stories and I'll rewrite them mm. so it's more meaningful to me. You know, uh, and so it speaks to me so that content is king, but context is God. And, uh, you know, there's many interpretations of the Bible. Uh, and it, maybe it'd be heresy to, to come up with your own interpretation of the Bible. <laughs> um, but I've re- re- rewritten some of the stories there. And there's one in there that says, um, uh, be still and know that I am God. Well, I tell that story is sit down, shut up. You're not God. So that's that's the story that works for me. <laughs> it's all in the nuance, right? The verbiage. That's right. It's, it, that's the to me as the audience. That was God. Was God was saying? That's funny. So, so that's your favorite story, uh, is the priest. But if you could, if somebody said to you in some way, I don't know how this would even work. I know you you wouldn't stop, but you can only tell one more story. This is your last story you can tell. What would that look like to you? What would that be? Well, that's that's one of those big questions of. What would you want that to be? Um, I guess I, once again, not not the story of what I would say, but what other other people would say. Um, I don't know that I, I'd want to tell my story. Um, I hope it's the story is a whole lot longer <laughs> than the story I tell right now. Um, but the story I would tell is uh, of my life. You know that here's a kid that grew up in. Uh, the suburbs of Chicago, 60 miles outside of Chicago, um, was never more than 100 miles away from his home mm. by the time he was 17 years old. And by mm. the grace of God and a clerical error, <laughs> I'll put the two of those together, uh, got the U.S. taxpayers to pay for his education within a year, went around the world and uh, just had an amazing life. You know, got to meet amazing people. And uh, um you know, the richness of your life is the richness of your relationships. And uh, so with that, I, you know, the stories that I would tell is the stories of people that, that I got to meet, the stories of the people uh, that I got to learn from, um, you know, that uh, my bride, you know, that, uh, that I got to meet her. And uh, she is proof that God loves me and wants me to be happy. <laughs> I have no idea what it means with her uh, relationship with the Almighty. But, uh, so I, I don't know if it's just just one story there it's uh to me that's this like i said with the legacy there mm. somebody asked me on a podcast what do you want chiseled on your on your tombstone and i'm like i think that's the most vain question to answer i don't care you know i'm dead uh if i've got to chisel something into a piece of granite mm-hmm. to prove that i was alive then i wasn't alive right so to me uh, the last story i want to tell is I want to, I want to shut up and listen to what other people tell the stories, and you know, don't let the uh, truth get in the way of a good story. So if you want to embellish that story about me a little <laughs> bit, that's fine. I'll have to do that. <laughs> so you mentioned your book. Uh, you've got obviously interview valet. Is there uh, one place that anyone can go find Tom Schwab? Uh, the easiest. Where can people find you? I am the only Tom Schwab in all of Kalamazoo, Michigan, <laughs> but still you won't remember that. So we had talked about interview valet. So one of the things that we've always learned is make it easy for people on podcasts, right? So, uh, always send them to the same place. 
So if you go to interviewvalet.com forward slash story, uh, everything that Dan and I talked about will be there. Uh, all my social media, my contacts, my links. If you just want to, if you're hearing this on the interview, uh, just the audio and wonder, <laughs> what does he look like? Go there. I'll put a picture of myself there. Um, and then, you know, um, you know, really what's ordinary to you is amazing to me and to others. So if there's any way that I can be of service to you, help you get your story out there uh, on podcasts, help you use podcast interview marketing, I would love to connect. Perfect. Awesome, man. Well, I tell you what, for the first time, having, second time having a live interview, first time having uh, whiskey on an interview. Cheers, man. Thanks for being Cheers. here part of it. That was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed having a live podcast there at Tom's place and uh, just having that conversation. Thank you so much, Tom, for being my guest on the Storytellers Network. Now be sure to go visit Tom online, which you can find those links down in our show notes. And if you think the podcast interviews just might work for you, Tom's the guy that you want in your corner. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it all over the place. Of course, regular social media, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, wherever. Uh, email it to somebody, send it a text. Just click on that little button on Apple Podcasts and say, share episode. Uh, appreciate it very much. And please consider also leaving us a review. In fact, here's one from Apple Podcasts. Slapshot J, that's Jamie J of Stop Riding the Pine Podcast. Great guy. Uh, says, Dan Moyle brings authentic passion to the world of podcasting and delivers amazing content every time. I can't recommend this show enough. Thank you so much, Dan, for creating the space. I love everything you're doing. Man, that's awesome. Thank you so much, Jamie. Uh, and that's my hope. Authentic conversations, uh, bring that passion of storytelling to you so I can inspire others. So that's it. Until next time, here's to telling our stories and having stories to tell. Hey, cheers. Cheers.